You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Today we conclude our series called Small Words, Big Impact. And we've been talking about words that churches and Christians conveniently tend to avoid or shy away from because we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to make things awkward for people. We don't want to be labeled, and we certainly don't want to be misunderstood. As a culture, we have become very uncomfortable with making people uncomfortable, so we just avoid certain topics. One small word that can absolutely be confusing, but that can also cause people to squirm in their seats a little bit, is the word hell. Hell. You see, decades ago, Preachers talked a lot about hell. The art of preaching hellfire and brimstone was perfected. They literally tried to scare people away from hell. And as a result, I think the next generation of preachers went to the opposite end of the pendulum and stopped talking about it altogether. The reason why was because they didn't want to offend or communicate the wrong message to those who were attending their churches. You see, preaching about God's love and grace, his kindness and his goodness, people like that. That makes people feel all warm and fuzzy inside. But when we preach about God's wrath and his justice and his judgment, it kind of has the opposite effect. People don't show up in crowds to hear it. And as a result of that pendulum swing, we have a culture today that simply believes we all go to heaven when we die. While that sounds nice and appealing, that is not what Scripture teaches. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 7. I want you to read this out loud with me as we get started. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. You see, everything that we believe, practice, teach, and preach must come from this from God's Word. We cannot just make up what feels good, what sounds good, or what itching ears want to hear. A problem in our society is that when we talk about hell, it often gets used as an adjective instead of a noun. For example, some people will use hell to describe what their job was like this week, or the experience that they had, or sitting through that three-hour lecture for class. But when people do use it properly as a noun, they're often telling people that that's where they should go, which, by the way, is not appropriate, okay? You shouldn't do that. No one has the authority to assign anyone to their eternal destiny. So please do not use hell in either one of those contexts. Today we're going to spend more time than maybe you have ever spent on this small word. And my hope is that by the time we are done you will understand the four most important truths about hell and that you will be able to share those truths with everyone that you come into contact with. Let's go ahead and pray as we get started. Oh, Father, as we bow before you now, God, we have just enjoyed a time of singing songs and praise to your name. God, we've enjoyed a time of communion and reflecting on Jesus and his sacrifice. And right now, as we open up your word, God, I just pray that all distractions would be removed. Father, that whatever we've got going on after this would just put it to the back of our minds so that we can let your Holy Spirit speak right now 
through your word. So God, I pray for clarity and I pray for, uh, God, just conviction to take place this morning. Let your will be done in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're tracking along with me in your outline, go ahead and write this down. The first truth that we need to know about hell is that hell is an actual place. It's an actual place. There are many different people who would tell you hell is just a figure of speech. It is just a scare tactic. It's not a real location. Actually, fewer and fewer people believe in the existence of hell. The Pew Research Center surveyed over 35,000 Americans in 2014, and they asked about their religious affiliations and beliefs. And just so you know, a survey of 35,000 people is a huge survey. I like the statistics that it brings because it has a wide uh, variety of answers. But of those surveyed, 72% said, yes, I believe in heaven. I believe that there is a heaven. However, only 58% of those same people said, I believe in hell. And they defined hell as a place where people who have led bad lives and die without being sorry are eternally punished. So 72% said heaven is real, but only 58% said hell is real. And isn't it funny that many people, not funny, it's sad, but many people view the Bible as a buffet. They're like, ah, I, I like what this says here in, in Galatians. I'm going to take this. This is encouraging to me. I like what Jesus said on this part in the Sermon on the Mount. But, ooh, that right there, that phrase, that sentence, that whole paragraph, I'm going to leave it out of my plate because I don't like where it's headed. I don't want anything to do with that. It's too harsh. So many people pick and choose what they want to believe, but God's word is truth, all of it. Either it's all true or it's all a lie. So if the Bible talked about a place called hell even one time, then we must believe that it is an actual place. In fact, the Bible doesn't talk about hell just once. It mentions hell 54 different times. And do you know who talks about it the most? Sunday school answer, somebody said it. Jesus, yes, all right. Jesus talked about it more than anybody else in Scripture. He wants to make certain that we know about it. Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. 13% of his teaching referred to eternal judgment and hell. Two-thirds of his parables, or the stories that he told, relate to the subject of resurrection and judgment. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. Where? In hell. In the New Testament, the English word that we translate for hell comes from uh, two different Greek words. Those words are Hades and Gehenna. Say that with me. Hades and Gehenna. There is a difference between the two, and I would need an extra 30 minutes to explain both Hades and Gehenna. I can only talk about one of those this morning, but I do want to explain briefly the difference for you. Hades is the place of the dead. It is the temporary residence of the wicked awaiting final judgment. Key phrase, temporary residence of the wicked. Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 talks about this and explains it in detail. But Gehenna is what I want us to focus on this morning. It is used 12 times in the New Testament, and Jesus used it 11 of those 12 times. Gehenna is the eternal state of final punishment for those who reject Jesus. 
Gehenna is the eternal state of final punishment for those who reject Jesus. You see, Jesus used this specific word because everybody in his day knew what it meant. Gehenna was a very deep ravine on the south side of Jerusalem. By today's definition, it was a very large city dump. People would take their trash and their refuse to the city walls and throw it over. And this hill was so steep that all of the refuse would roll down into a deep pit. And this pit was kept constantly on fire, 24-7, burning all day and all night, much like a trash incinerator. The fire would continually burn up all the trash and refuse. Gehenna was an area that had been condemned because years before the wicked kings Ahaz and Manasseh, they sacrificed their own sons by worshiping the false god Molech there. It was also the place where convicted criminals' bodies were dumped and thrown in. So this garbage dump called Gehenna was a place that was haunted with terrible memories of Israel's wickedness. It was a smelly, smoldering, fiery pit, always burning. And Jesus, being the master teacher, he drew the comparison to convey the reality of hell in a way that his hearers would understand. But it's much more than just a trash dump. Listen to the other ways that Gehenna is described. Smoke, fire, torment, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, unquenchable fire, second death, damnation, burning sulfur, bottomless pit, everlasting prison. Does that sound like a place you want to spend any amount of time? No, of course not. It is almost as if Jesus is waving a flag telling us, don't come here. You don't want to spend any time in this place. Here's what he teaches in Matthew 25. Jesus said, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Eternal is mentioned three times there. Remember, once you check into hell, you cannot check out. Hell is an eternal place of suffering. You can never work your way out. You can never buy your way out. Hell is an actual place. Here's the second truth. We can't have heaven without hell. We can't have heaven without it. Henry Jowett, a popular British preacher at the turn of the 19th century, he explained hell this way. He said the very term good news implies that there is something called bad news. The very proclamation of salvation presupposes a state of being lost. Hell is the dark background on which the brilliant picture of the gospel is painted. But without the background, you don't have any picture. You see, the gospel, the good news, is necessary because of a place called hell. When we share the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we cannot leave out why he chose to die. Jesus chose death accepting the punishment that we deserved in hell because of our sin. The whole point of being saved by the blood of Jesus is that we are saved from something, and that something is our sin. That something is hell. So if we decide to ignore the reality of hell, then we tell an incomplete story of the gospel. Maybe you've used the phrase, what goes around comes around. Anybody ever said that? What goes around comes around, or maybe you've had it told to you. 
It's this idea that we all get what we deserve, both the good and the bad. That's basically just called justice. It's fairness being administered. Every justice system is governed by a punishment for those who break the rules. And I don't think anyone in here would deny the fact that we want people to be brought to justice. So what about all the people who never get caught? What about the crimes that go unsolved? What about all the things that take place which seem completely unfair? What becomes of the people who continue to every day reject God? They reject a relationship with him, but yet they seem to succeed in life. Does justice ever get served to them? Yes. It gets served in a place called hell. Think of it this way. If hell isn't real, then the cross of Christ was a tragic mistake. If it's not real, then the cross was a mistake. And do you think that God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of everything that we see, you think he makes mistakes? No, no. God doesn't make mistakes. The truth is this. If there is no pending punishment, then there would be no purpose for pardon. If there is no pending punishment, if hell is not real, then there would be no purpose for pardon for Jesus to leave heaven, to come to earth, to die on a cross in our place. If we don't face judgment in the future, then why would we need salvation in the present? Our punishment is hell. But thank God that Jesus pardoned us through his work on the cross. You see, we couldn't have heaven without hell. Here's truth number three. Hell is in a place of eternal separation. It's a place of eternal separation. The biblical picture is one of separation from God. Now, some scholars also think that people will be separated from each other as well, kind of like solitary confinement. You're going to suffer forever all alone. And some scholars think that it's kind of like Dante's Inferno. There'll be bodies upon bodies upon bodies piled up all suffering together. Now, we have no idea what that's going to be. It's just going to be a speculation. There's no passage that proves either theory. But what we do know is that we will be separated from God forever. Paul speaks to this in 2 Thessalonians 1. He says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and what does he say right there, those two words? Shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Shut out, meaning banished, meaning eternally forever separated from God. Heaven is being in the presence of God. Hell is void of God's presence. God is light. Hell is the absence of it. And that's what makes hell hell. It is the absence, complete absence of God. And this is something that none of us have ever experienced. None of us have lived in a world that is absent of the benefits of God's presence. Even the darkest souls have the opportunity to experience the benefit of God's presence on earth, regardless of how sinful or how obedient we choose to be. Max Licato talked about this very eloquently. He said, none of us have seen such a blessingless world. 
Even the vilest precincts of humanity know the grace of God. People who want nothing of God still enjoy his benefits. Adolf Hitler witnessed the wonder of the Alps. Saddam Hussein enjoyed the blushing sunrise of the desert. The dictator, the child molester, the serial rapist, the drug peddler, they all enjoy the common grace of God's goodness. They hear children laugh. They smell dinner cooking. They tap their toes to the rhythm of a good song. They deny God, yet enjoy his benevolence. But these privileges are all confiscated at the gateway to hell. I'm telling you, without God's presence, there's no mercy. There's no intervention. There's no protection. There is no order. There is no restraint. There is no peace. There is no grace. There is no rest. In hell, all hope and happiness perish. It is beyond bleak. It is so bad that we can't even imagine the full context of what it would be like. Now, if that's the case, one could ask, and many do, why in the world would God create such a place? That sounds like an angry God to me. That doesn't sound like a loving, forgiving God. But remember, you and I have been created in God's image, and he deserves our praise our devotion, and our obedience for all that he's done for us. So to reject God means that you reject who you are because you were created in his image. If you reject God, you reject the essence of who you are. And there are consequences for our sin, for rejecting him. When you create a universe, you get to set the rules. And these are the rules that God established from day one, from the very beginning. The sad reality, however is that all of us have broken the rules. Paul says in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. Later on, he says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Wages means that we get what we deserve. We get what we earn. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, Eric, I get it. Hell is bad. It's real bad. Okay, I got it. But there's no way I'm going to wind up there. I mean, I'm not even being as close to sinful as Stephen sitting in the front row up here. I'm not near as bad as him. You know what he did last week? There's no way I'm going to wind up in hell. Let me clarify something. You and God are still not okay, regardless of who you compare yourself to. Because... If a window in your house is broken, it still needs to be replaced. If you throw one rock through your window and you break it, it doesn't matter if you've thrown just one rock or if you throw a million rocks through that window, it is broken. It needs to be replaced. Heaven is a place of perfection. And if you've committed even one sin, if you've thrown one rock, you're not getting in. Because imperfection cannot be where perfection is. Imperfection cannot be where perfection is. Pastor J.D. Greer described it this way. He said, hell is what hell is because the holiness of God is what it is. Hell is not one degree hotter than our sin demands it to be. 
The only hope we have of avoiding hell is putting our trust in Jesus and accepting God's grace through faith. When we do this, we're cleansed of our sin. God purifies us. He washes us clean. He takes all of our sins away. He restores us. He sanctifies us through his son, Jesus. You see, God has gone to some incredible lengths so that everyone has the opportunity to go to heaven. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us this, and I want you to read this with me. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. God doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He doesn't want to be separated from you because he loves you, he created you, he wants to be with you forever. And there might be some of you squirming in your seats right now because the reality is sinking in. This subject makes you uncomfortable. It's actually pretty uncomfortable to talk about. And let me tell you, you're not alone. Talking about hell can be awkward, especially if you're a first-time guest. And maybe you brought a guest with you. I know certain people have brought guests today, and I can just see the emails coming to my inbox tomorrow morning. Thanks a lot, Eric. My neighbor finally came after months of inviting him. My boss came with me. My son, who hasn't been to church in years, walked through the doors today. My teammate showed up. And this is the subject you decide to preach on? Are you kidding me? Why today? Why now? Why did you talk about hell? Here's why. On May 27, 2007, the day that I was ordained to be a pastor, I kneeled before the elders of the church and my adopted dad, who was the pastor, and all the congregation And I made a promise that I would not say what itching ears want to hear, but that I would preach the whole word of God, even if it's unpopular, even if it's politically incorrect, even if it's culturally insensitive, even if it offends people. I made a commitment to never budge from the truth found in God's word, and the truth is this. We all need to be reminded of the reality of hell. You do and I do. So does your boss. So does your neighbor. So does your son. So does your coworker. So does your spouse. So we've learned three things so far. We've learned, first of all, that hell is an actual place. It is real. We couldn't have heaven without it, and that hell is a place of eternal separation where we will be shut out from God's presence. But let me tell you the best news. And this actually ties in with last week's final point as well. It's this. Thanks to Jesus, you don't have to go to hell. Thanks to Jesus. Peter wrote this message to the early Christians in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. Think about everything that God endured. Just think about that for a moment. God, our heavenly Father, watched his innocent son be whipped and beaten to within an inch of his life. Then he watched as Roman soldiers drove spikes into his hands and his feet 
mocking and cursing his name. And for six hours he watched as his son slowly suffocated on the cross with every drop of blood, with every ounce of pain, Jesus paid for every sin that we will ever commit. And he did it so that we would never have to face the wrath that we deserve in hell. Therefore, an important question still needs to be asked. What would it take to warrant your ticket to hell? What would it take to get there? The answer is simple. Reject Jesus and choose to walk away from his saving grace. That's it. Reject Jesus and choose to walk away. If you continue to daily tell God, get out, leave me alone, I don't need you, I don't believe in you, let me live my life, my way, eventually you get your wish. You either choose to live with God or you choose to live without him. There is a wide gate that leads to hell and there is a very narrow gate that leads to heaven. It's up to you. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between. That's why Jesus is the most important person in history. His work on the cross and through the resurrection means that hell has absolutely no power over the believer. Christians don't need to fear sin. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear hell. Because when we trust and obey in Jesus, hell is defeated. Satan has lost the war. And that, my friends, is the best news ever. And it is something that we cannot keep to ourselves. We must do everything in our power to tell others about Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher in the 1800s, he said a quote that I love. Here's what he said. If sinners be condemned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go to hell unwarned and unprayed for. That is powerful. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you specifically prayed for someone to not go to hell? When was the last time that you intentionally shared the good news of Jesus? Remember some very sobering statistics that I shared last week. 65% of Christians haven't shared their faith with anyone in the last six months. That is unacceptable. It must change. It is our responsibility to tell others this good news. Jude one twenty three gives a very direct command to us, and I would encourage you to memorize this short passage. Read it with me. Jude one twenty three says, Save others by snatching them from the fire. Read it again. Folks, hell is real. When people die without accepting Christ as their Savior, that is where they go forever. We must spend our lives, every moment, snatching people from the fire. Here's my final thought. I'll close with this. Choice, not chance, determines where you spend eternity. Choice, not chance. Many people have asked the question, Eric, okay, I'll agree with you that hell is real. I believe that. But what I can't grasp is why would God choose to send people to hell? Why would he do that? Each time my answer is the same. He doesn't. He doesn't. 
We choose hell when we reject Jesus. Every day God offers us the opportunity to repent. With every breath we take, Jesus stands at the entrance of hell. He looks us in the eyes and he says, the only way you're getting in here is over my dead body. You have to avoid me. You have to reject me. You have to completely step over me if you want to enter here. It's your choice. It is up to you to bow your knee and surrender your heart to God or turn away and walk away from me. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose to go there on our own. We're going to close as we do every single week with a time of invitation. And this is an opportunity for you. If you want to be prayed for, I'd love to pray for you. Whatever you got going on, God hears our prayers. He wants us to talk to him about it so we can pray for you. If you want to place your membership at Northside, that's easy. I can talk to you about that too. But if you're here this morning and that sobering reality is setting in, that you and God are still not okay, that you haven't repented for throwing those rocks through the window, and you need to make things right with Jesus by accepting him in faith, you can make that decision right now. So if you would please stand with me, I'm going to pray and we'll sing this invitation song. God, I just pray right now for every single man, woman, and child in this room. Father, if someone here today does not have a personal relationship with you, God, that they would act right now, that they would move, Father, and be obedient to what your Holy Spirit is doing in this moment. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.